0: Yesterday, the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the San Francisco 49ers, capping off a thriller in Las Vegas that saw several lead changes in the second half before ending in just the second Super Bowl to go to overtime. The Chiefs will bring home the Vince Lombardi trophy for the second year in a row and the third time in five years after quarterback Patrick Mahomes rallied his team, which had been dominated by San Francisco in the first half. Former President Donald Trump said Saturday he would encourage Russia to do whatever the hell they want if it attacked a NATO country that didn't pay enough for defense. His comments drew fierce backlash from some Republicans, the White House, and leading Western officials with the head of the Transatlantic Alliance suggesting they could put the lives of American and European soldiers at greater risk. Israel's military held held the rescue of two hostages overnight, while local officials said the raid killed dozens of people in the crowded southern Gaza Strip. Now, this city is sheltering more than 1 million displaced people. At least 67 people were killed in Israeli strikes. And an NBC News crew that has been working on the ground in Gaza since the start of the war described the bombing in the area as strikingly violent, and he called it a deadly assault. Chicago, along with New York City and Denver, have struggled to keep up with the demand for housing and social services brought on by the influx of immigrants. And in response, Chicago's Mayor Brandon Johnson put a 60-day cap on how long people can stay in city-operated migrant shelters. The first wave of evictions will come in mid-March with 5,600 people expected to be removed from their current shelters by the end of April. And in a new report that was published just last week, in the US, black adult women are six times more likely to be killed than their white counterparts. Now this is troubling new data. It says that uh, homicide rates of black women ages 25 to 45 across 30 states uh, were the subject of this study. This data was collected between 1999 and 2020 by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Former Donald, former President Donald Trump, that is, is expected to file, and he probably already did, a last-ditch effort today in the Supreme Court to press his claim of total immunity from criminal prosecution. Now, a federal appeals court last week rejected that claim, and in doing so, it temporarily paused its ruling, saying it would return the case to the trial court, allowing Judge Tanya Chuckin, who's a judge in a federal district court in New York, to restart proceedings in the case that had been frozen during the appeal. And in some good news, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced over the weekend that Mariah Carey, Cher, and Mary J. Blige are among its 15 nominees who could possibly be inducted into the Rock Hall this year. Other great artists who made the list are Ozzy Osbourne, Sade, Lenny Kravitz, the late Saneed O'Connor, Dave Matthews, uh, and Peter Frampton. Also one of my favorites, Cool and the Gang. They're also on the list and maybe possibly inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. And finally, Taylor Swift. Well, she was at the Super Bowl. We saw that yesterday. She hasn't even endorsed Joe Biden for re-election, but that hasn't stopped members of MAGAland's upper crust from plotting to declare, as one source to Donald Trump calls it, a holy war on the pop megastar, especially, they say, if she ends up publicly backing the Democrats in the 2024 election. You're watching and listening to Ariva Martin in Real Time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. This is hour two of Ariva Martin in Real Time, and this is the hour where we go deep, where we dig behind those headlines, and we bring you those stories that people are talking about. Well, if you pick up any newspaper or you scroll through your social media feed, you will see the names uh, Bill Ackman. And Elon Musk, and Elon Musk's name, not just being associated with his uber popular car, the Tesla, but Elon Musk and Bill Ackman have been getting a lot of attention lately because they are both billionaires, and they also have decided that they are going to be the face of attack on, or the attacks that are happening on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that were pretty popular in most of uh, Fortune 500 and other companies, pretty popular in government and other institutions. But they have decided that these efforts somehow discriminate against white men, that these efforts somehow lead to candidates uh, being in high places and not being qualified. And they've been conflating the notion of, of being qualified with being a quote unquote DEI candidate. Now, we've seen this sharp rise in anti, anti-DEI rhetoric and as well as legal challenges. A lot of it coming after we saw corporations try to increase racial diversity efforts following the murder of George Floyd in 2020. Uh, some of these companies have even stopped talking about DEI initiatives, while others are making substantial changes to their diversity programs. Uh, Some of these companies are even calling back some of its DEI programs and staffing. Zoom, we all got very comfortable, very familiar with Zoom uh, video communications during the pandemic in particular, and many of us still use Zoom pretty regularly for meetings and conferences. Uh, This is one of the companies that launched a DEI program uh, after George Floyd's murder but they recently fired a team of workers who were focused on DEI. Why are these companies succumbing, capitulating to these bullies like Elon Musk and Bill Ackman, who've decided to take it upon themselves? And obviously, they didn't start these attacks, but they definitely are giving oxygen to these attacks. They both have massive platforms and they're using. Uh, Their platforms, uh, articles in The New York Times, article in The Washington Post and other national publications. Obviously, Elon Musk is using the social media platform X, formerly Twitter, which he now is the owner of, uh, to really uh, rage this war against DEI. And in some cases, they have made a commitment to see DEI efforts roll back by as much as 50% in this year alone. So we've been having conversations uh, over the last month or so about DEI efforts, what successes they've had and what efforts are taking place around the country to push back. We've we've seen uh, the Mavericks owner uh, and other billionaire types use their platforms to try to push back on DEI, these attacks on DEI, but we also can look at what happened with critical race theory and how successful uh, Republicans and extremists were in convincing parents that their kids were being taught critical race theory and how they conflated critical race theory with basically the teaching of anything that was related to Black history. So the question that I'm asking and have been asking for the last 30 days or so is how do we successfully push back on these attacks on diversity? Because we already know the numbers are there. The stats are there that companies that have diverse workforces do better. Their bottom lines, uh, you know, they make more money. They're more successful. They're more profitable. You would think in a capitalist society that that's all that matters that companies would be standing up themselves saying, no, diversity efforts have improved our companies, have improved our bottom line. But contrary to that, we're seeing companies claw back programs, fire staff, uh, and really you know, shrink rather than stand up to these efforts uh, against diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, my guests today have been on the show before, and they both are DEI experts. Uh, they both are accomplished authors. So when we come forward, I'm going to talk to them about what they are doing personally and what other groups around the country are doing. And and what does a real uh, pushback on these, what I call, billionaire bullies look like? Uh, Stay with us. More to come. KBLA Talk
1: 1580. He's the real deal in real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk
0: 1580. We are back and in this hour, I'm joined by Fatima Gilliam. She's the author of a new book, just came out at the end of January. It's called Race Rules, What Your Black Friend Won't Tell You. Also, Dr. Deborah Ashton is here. She's the president of Planet Perspective and she's a DEI consultant. Thank you, Fatima, and thank you, Dr. Depp, for uh, returning to the show. I know you both were on a couple of weeks ago when my colleague Dominique De Prima was guest hosting and had a very robust conversation. Uh, so much seemingly has happened even since that conversation. Uh, almost every day, there's some article in the paper and just uh, earlier, the Asian American Caucus, uh, in Congress, wrote to 100 companies, wanting them to report back on what efforts they had made to uh, promote and include Asian Americans uh, in their workplaces. Now, a similar letter was sent in December by the Black Caucus uh, caucuses, uh, minority caucuses, asking these companies to stand up and to go on the record and say what they're doing as it relates to diversity in their workplaces. Uh, Fatima, is that backdrop? for the uh, publication of your new book, Race Rule. And I was just looking at some of the things that your book addresses and one is racial stereotypes and racial blinders and misperceptions. How, is, uh, how are those things, racial blinders and, and uh, stereotypes, you think playing into this attack we are seeing on diversity efforts?
2: Well, first, thank you so much for having me back. I'm really happy to be here with Deborah that I know you're going to introduce shortly. But in terms of some of the topics that I cover in my book and this broad attack on DEI, uh, you know, one thing that's really happening that I talk about in the book is uh, focusing on a meritocracy, right? And that is at the core of what some of these attacks on DEI are, right? When they're going to start talking about DEI is racist, which is what is some of the discussion now, or DEI is anti-Semitic, or DEI uh, is um, reverse discrimination. I tackle these issues because I talk about, you know, what is happening in society right now. And these attacks are very much around opportunity hoarding in a white-centered fashion and trying to create a changed narrative so that there isn't equal access to opportunity for all kinds of people, Black people, Asian people, you mentioned before, marginalized groups. And I'm here, and with my book, I want to change the narrative back so that we can have access to opportunity for
0: all kinds of people in this country. So, uh, Dr. Deb, one of the things that puzzles me about corporations uh, the data is there it's been there now for a long time that diverse companies do better financially that it improves their bottom line to have diverse voices, whether they're women or people of color in you know higher levels of management. So you think about a company who's just trying to improve shareholder, uh, returns, trying to improve, you know, the profit of that company. So if you're doing something like including diverse voices in your workplace and you know that's improving your bottom line, why would there be any question that, you know, you would end diversity programs or you would fire folks who've been brought on to your companies to help you diversify them? Why aren't we seeing more of these CEOs who have profited from diversity standing up and pushing back on these billionaire bullies?
1: Well, I can't get inside their minds totally, if you will. But I will say this, is that part of the issue is that some companies were always doing DEI as window dressing. You look at some of the companies where there actually has been progress and some which had DEI, if you will, as a curtain on their window but nothing was really going on the issue is whether individuals truly believe that in fact they're growing the pie the issue is is that you still have individuals who truly in their hearts think that when you have more women coming into the organization when you have more people of color coming into the organization, when you have more individuals who have disabilities coming into the organization, you are taking away from them. They, It is an irrational response. They're not paying attention to the bottom line. They're paying attention to what's, as my sister like to say, what's going on in between their ears. And so therefore, they're looking at it is that, for instance, I'll give you an example. I was in one organization and I was talking to a white female and the white woman I was talking to was very concerned about the fact that white women weren't being promoted as readily as men. And then in the next breath, she said to me that she was concerned that her children weren't going to have the opportunities that they should have because they were bringing in more minorities. It's interesting how people can compartmentalize and they compartmentalize in such a way that they see their plight and they see when there's injustice to their group, but they do not see when there's injustice to another group. So they can say, my group doesn't have a uh, level playing field, but yours does, even when yours also does not.
0: Yes, that's interesting. You're right. It's an irrational response. Uh, and you address some of that, uh, Fatima, in your book. Give us some uh, examples from the book about uh, what are some of the racial blinders and misperceptions that you see at play in the workplace, uh, you know, that you see routinely at play in the workplace?
2: A lot of the things that you see play out routinely in the workplace, especially around, for example, microaggressions right? The types of things that people say that stereotype people of color, right? Where they'll say that um, uh, or you know, or they'll classify them, for example, let's look at hiring, right? So within a hiring context, when it comes to looking at diverse candidates, the things that will take place that create barriers to entry is when people talk about not just qualifications, but whether or not someone is an appropriate cultural fit, right? And that's the kind of thing that they talk about only when they're talking about candidates of color, and they're not talking about culture fit or qualifications when they're talking about uh, white candidates. That's when they start talking about meritocracy and then not wanting to do a fair analysis of, is this even a merit, you know, a, a system based on merit to begin with, right? Because it can't be that there is something inherently wrong with people of color such that they don't rise to the top. Because if you look at a lot of these organizations, right, you look at the CEOs and the majority of the CEOs across the country are white men. And it cannot be that there's something inherent that is more superior about them. What is superior about what's happening with them is that they have a fast track pipeline to access to opportunity, and that is the problem. And that people need to expand and open up and and not have these types of blinders around who's qualified, who's not qualified. And then when we're talking about the attack on DEI or in the diversity space, People lean into these tropes around whether or not someone has the right kind of qualification, whether there are a certain kind of fit, you know, whether or not someone is articulate enough. All of these types of things that happen, but also getting to something that Deborah talked about before is, you know, to be honest, let's just be frank about it what is at the core of a lot of these things that are taking place, why there are barriers to entry, is because there is white supremacy. I have clients where I've spoken and you can lay out the business case. You can say your company will be more profitable if you're diverse, you will have lower employee turnover, you will have a higher return on investment, whether that's you have senior people at the top, whether that's people who are on your corporate board, all of these things, you can lay out the data. Right. And you could even have market demand. You could have clients like you can have, for example, some corporations have said to their law firms that they want to have diverse people on these legal teams. Right. So you have the the market saying that you can have uh, a more profitable company and then you could have the 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 client saying we're only going to hire you if you have diverse staff. All of these things can happen. And then at the end of the day, the senior leaders still will not diversify, still will not create an inclusive workplace. Because why? Because at the core of what is happening is just plain old-fashioned racism, bigotry, and white supremacy, which is extremely hard to
1: overcome.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, so Dr. Deb, after George Floyd was murdered in 2020, it seemed like we were in this moment of racial reckoning where people were willing to have conversations about systemic racism uh, and the pervasive nature of it and talk openly about white supremacy and how white supremacy uh, evades our institutions. But slowly over time, uh, those kinds of hard conversations were happening less and less. And what we saw happening too was like, now this attack on DEI efforts Bill Ackman, uh, Elon Musk, and others, and they're not the only ones, obviously, but they are, you know, they have huge platforms. They say that it's racist to talk about racism or you're a racist if you're calling out white supremacy. So they're flipping it on its head and saying black people, you're being racist because we, quote unquote, we being black people are always talking about race. So, and that Argument for a lot of people sounds really logical. I've, I've had someone in my own uh, complex where I, I work out say to me, I wish I wish you ought to talk about race so much. <laughs> like, you know, like maybe if you just stop talking about it, it'll go away. So are they winning the the war of words, uh, Dr. Depp, in that regard?
1: I think the issue is, is that what make people defensive? One of the things is, is that, individuals, and I I had a CEO years ago ask me, how come it's so difficult for us in the United States, especially to deal with the issue of race? And I said, because race, the issue around race is the original sin in the United States. It's around Black people and it's about Native Americans. It's the original sin. And so people don't mind admitting that they were maybe a little bit sexist. They didn't mind admitting that they may be a little bit homophobic but no one wanted to admit that they may be a little bit racist. It's a visceral reaction. The other piece is because you're going to have some people who will shut down when you start discussing the issue of white supremacy or racism is from my stance with individuals, I talk about affinity bias. I talk about the fact that there has been research when Wait look, a minute. And
0: do you do that as a way to not talk about white supremacy, or you do you call it a I do it bias? as
1: a way for us to get to the issue of their biases, and their biases may be around whoever is the dominant group in any culture. For instance, the dominant group in the United States are whites. The dominant group in China are Chinese. Whoever is the dominant group in a culture, many times are the ones with the power. And if they have the power and individuals are socialized to go and believe that they are better than, then you have an issue of even, and I will tell you, even Black people who will think the white person's ice is colder. The issue yeah, is how do you get thought. them to it? Okay, all yeah, that
0: thought when we come forward, I want to talk about that because, I, you know, is that the way to have a conversation about white supremacy and racism to start talking about affinity bias versus calling it what Fatima called it, which is white supremacy and racism uh, more when we come forward? KBLA Talk 1580.
1: Ariba time is the right time. More of Ariba Martin in real time when we come forward. forward. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. 80, 80.
0: We are back and we're talking about the attacks on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives with Fatima Gilliam. She's the author of a new book out. It's called Race Rule, What Your Black Friend Won't Tell You. Make sure you pick up a copy of it where books are sold. And also Dr. Deborah Ashton is here. She's president of Planet Perspective and she's a DEI consultant. So Fatima, and I don't want to put words in Dr. Deb's mouth, but she said, I think I heard her to say that she talks about affinity bias. So when I, I think about the attacks on DEI from these billionaire bullies, I, I don't see the word affinity, you know, that they, they talk about being really clear on who they're going after black folks in particular, other minority groups. So I just wonder, you know, if we are going to fight these attacks, if we're going to push back on them hard, uh, you know, are we going to have to have conversations using terms and words that some people feel uncomfortable about, like white supremacy, like white privilege? You know, or is it imperative that we use the language that is common, uh, and particularly the language that's being used by these uh, folks who have launched these widespread attacks?
2: Honestly, I think it's time to call things, call a spade a spade. I think dancing around the issues, being diplomatic, uh being concerned as to how people may respond or feel overly triggered has not really been beneficial. If it were a beneficial strategy, we would have progressed significantly since the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Instead, we have a rollback on progress of the 20th century. In terms of these attacks, you know, what they're focused on are just leaning into, you know, a sort of color blindness ideology yeah. that, uh, you know, reverse the, you know, reverse discrimination, right? And what they're focused on is as if there's sameness in society, right? This equality, which is what we really need to focus on is equity, right? So not everybody has the same sort of path, people of color, have a whole bunch of obstacles in their way, and that needs to be taken into consideration. But instead, what people want to use as a, you know, whether they're using dog whistles, or they're trying to twist the words and use them and weaponize them against progress, you know, these things do need to be called out. And not only do they need to be called out, but they need to be, uh, you know, these bullies or these, you know, battle of the billionaire bullies as it is, they need to have some sort of pressure put on them. And the companies as well, right? They made these commitments after George Floyd. Many of them honestly were performative, but they still made the commitments. And so they need to be held to account in terms of what they said they wanted to achieve, right? Because otherwise, what you end up is where we are today and where people think things like affirmative action are problematic. Well, you know, then the question becomes: If we're going to acknowledge that there is systemic racism, if there are structural barriers, if you don't like programs like affirmative action, then what is the solution to have a level level playing field? And what they currently want is just to maintain a white centered uh, power structure, a caste system, as if it's 1950.
0: And so, and I'm going. Go ahead, Dr. Deb. Okay, fine.
1: Yes, you did put some words in my mouth. I will say that. Is let me say this. I said we discuss affinity bias, but when we before we discuss affinity bias, we talk in terms of the fact that we, because of our brains, every human being breaks the world into them and us. We're tribal. And what I discuss is the fact that depending on who's the dominant group, and in the United States, whites are the dominant group, is that. It then defines what is considered, if you will, normal or the culture. And therefore, that's the reason why, as early as the age of six, you have children who go and see white as better than black. You have had studies starting in the 1947s, taking up all the way to the 2000s, where, in fact, whether the children are black, white, Latinos, or mixed race. They see white as better. This is not to say that you're not dealing with racism because you are dealing with racism. In our discussions, we talk about racism. We talk about sexism. We talk about homophobia. The question is, how do you get individuals to go and get past their defenses in order for you to get them to talk about it? In doing so, you then have white men who will then finally come to the realization that it was never a meritocracy, even in the good old boys. But but where are
0: these white men that are doing that, Dr. Deb? Where are these white men that are coming around? What the Well, you do have the few... Hold on a second. second. What the news is today is that companies are clawing back, that Uh there was a lot of performative commitments made, and they're not even... Uh, willing to perform anymore? The the, the you know they they're done even with the performance, and they're cutting these departments. And this isn't a simple you know. So there's no simple answer to this. I don't no. think there's a black and white simple solution. But I I don't know that we can fight the the billionaire bullies, the Ackmans, the Elon Musk of the world, uh, without using some of the same strategies and techniques that they are using. I mean they're they're pretty transparent. I, Christopher Rufo, for example, uh, who's also been out front on this issue, has a whole playbook and he tells you what it is. Uh, so, you know, are we going to lose, in your opinion, this battle on DEI in the way that we lost the, the narrative on critical race theory? Today, people think critical race theory is something that's taught to kids in elementary school, uh, Fatima is a law school graduate, from Harvard, uh-huh. like I am, you're a Harvard uh-huh. graduate. And we know critical race theory is not taught in any classroom, in any elementary school in this country. Yet that narrative became the pervasive and prevailing narrative. So are we going to lose this, this battle in the same way that we lost the, the the battle of the words as it relates to critical race theory?
1: I think what we need to do is what you are doing right now is making sure that we define what DEI is and don't let them define it. Part of what happened was that other people were defining DEI and you did not have folks like Fatima coming out and saying, this is what DEI is. Part of what was going on was the fact that you had, and I'm going to go all the way and say, you had individuals who called themselves woke, who were actually defining what DEI was and DEI wasn't what they were saying was. And then you had folks who are on the right who were grabbing it and saying, okay, we're going to run with it. And the fact is, is that, as you know from the research, the individuals who are the far woke and the far right, all are predominantly white, predominantly wealthy, and predominantly don't have anything in common with the average person. The average person, for instance, does not worry about if you call something a brown bag lunch. As one of the uh, ladies who I know who has a, if you will, a hourly job. I told her about this here whole thing about uh, uh, Stanford University saying brown bag uh, lunches were racist. And she said, what are they talking about? I said, no. I said, this is some elitism that has come down. And part of it is you had individuals who are elitists who grabbed it and then you had the rights who grabbed it and they then took off and wanted to define what something was in such a way that it turned off the populist group of the mass people. And what we want to do is get folks to say, this is what DEI is. DEI is saying that, You have diversity, which means that you have representation across the board. You have equity, which means you're providing people the resources that they need to be successful. And you have inclusion, which means that people have a voice at the table. And that's what it is. And not when folks take equity from the right is saying that you have all the same outcome. No, it is. It's not. It's saying that you provide the resources so each and every person can rise to the top of their potential and contribute to the best of their potential. Can so, I interject something for yeah, a
0: second? I want to ask you a question, Fatima, and definitely you can wrap it into your response. We know that the average person like reads on a fifth, sixth grade level and getting information to them, you know, trying to cut through the noise, all the noise that's in what we call corporate media, all the noise on social media, I'm just curious about how this message is going to resonate because what you just described, Dr. Deb, I understand it. Fatima understands it. I I just don't know that spoken in those words though, is going to be understandable to the everyday person who's catching a sound bite, who's, you know, looking at a headline and a part of how the CRT war was won was a very strategic you know, strategy on their part, on the part of you know the Christopher Rufo's of the world, to conflate CRT with everything that was related to the teaching of Black history. So I'm just wondering, Fatima, and you can respond to this. If we're going to win this battle, the battle of really preserving diversity, equity, and inclusion, and winning it in the war of public opinion. It seems like to me it's gotta be a, a much simpler message that people can, res- that, that that will resonate and people can grab hold to. Uh, well, I think,
2: it, to... I think the simple message is an attack on DEI is an attack on black people. An attack on DEI is an attack on people of color in the most simplest terms. And before you can even get into an organization to hold them account in terms of whether they pull back from their performative pledges and those kinds of things, but, People need to understand at a basic level that they need to be personally involved. They cannot sit back and let someone else solve this before you can even talk to an organization and explain to them all of these, uh, you know, internal structural challenges that they have as an organization, you know, to sort of make the business case, all of that kind of stuff. They have to have pressure, right? And I think where we are right now, when we have an attack on DEI, it is time. For pressure, and then the arguments can come later. And by that, I mean people need to be pressuring, you know, their local school. They need to be pressuring their elected officials. They need to be pressuring their employer. They need to be pressuring, uh, you know, people with power and influence. Because if that's not happening, nothing is going to happen. Because the reality is, deep down, none of these. A lot of these people don't care anyway. So the only way that they're going to care is if their customers and their employees and their key stakeholders. But, OK,
0: but th- that's my point, mm-hmm. Fatima. The pressure. Yes, I agree. But you're mm-hmm. not going to motivate people to do to p- apply that pressure if the message that is being disseminated is not one that resonates with them. So as I'm talking to people about these attacks, for the most part, unless it's some really small circle of, uh, you know, academic type folks, people don't get, they don't even understand it. And I'm not suggesting people are stupid, but you know, there's just so much information that comes at people. It's very hard to get people to focus on anything. So I'm not going to go to my company. I'm not going to go to my elected official and apply pressure to something that has not hit me you know, Fair in point. a way that feels like this matters to me, like abortion. So, we can use that as an example. We've seen women go out, even in red states like Ohio and Kentucky, and fight against uh, initiatives that are, you know, efforts to restrict abortions or to fight for enshrining abortion rights into their state constitutions. Because they understood the overturning of Roe v. Wade means you can't have an abortion in this state and abortion is a woman's right. So there is a message about that that resonated with women and men, but that caused people to go out and take the action, the pressure action that you are talking about. So I, I I think we still, I'm not convinced yet. Hold on a second. I'm not convinced yet that we figured out what that message is and that it's resonating. Uh Hold your thought when we come forward. I'll uh, we'll give you an opportunity to respond. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580.
1: She's the real deal in real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580
0: All right, uh, Fatima, you wanted to respond to my comment about the message resonating with everyday people.
2: I think, in terms of the simplest way to put it, is asking people, do they feel the system is rigged? If they feel the system is rigged and discriminating against them, then DEI is the pathway. To equality. DEI is the pathway to fairness, right? We wouldn't need DEI if we didn't have D-E-N-Y, right? And so I think to have a simple way of saying it, if people understand that there is a lot of inequity, right? That they try to get a job and it doesn't work out. That they try to get a mortgage and it doesn't work out, right? The reason why is because the system is rigged and there needs to be an answer to that rigging. And things like affirmative action and diversity programs are part of the answer to that rigged system.
0: Uh, Dr. Deb, what are you feeling in this moment, the best way that this pushback happens? Because I'm not seeing the the billionaire, I guess the uh, owner of the Mavericks uh or maybe he sold the team, I'm not sure, but it's Mark Cuban is his name. Uh, He's been out front pushing back, uh, being supportive of DEI efforts, talking about the merits of diversity in the workplace as a sports team owner. How come you don't think we're seeing more voices like Mark Cuban, the, the billionaire class of folks that I would imagine support diversity? Oh, where are those You keep
1: voices? asking me, asking me, where where are these voices? Let me say well, this: You work in this if
0: space, so maybe I you run in across this space, these
1: people. I don't know. <laughs> I worked in the space where, let me be clear, is the fact that um, just like the one uh, CEO who asked me about reason why folks have the difficulty dealing with race in this country is individuals still many times are self centered. At the same time, what I would like to do with Fatima mentioning, is the fact that we have to deal with the fact that individuals understand, and it doesn't matter whether they have a college degree or not, they understand bias. They understand when the f- playing field is not level. They understand when we talk in terms of the fact that when I say dominant class, I'm talking about whoever's in power in any different culture are the individuals who set the stage. And that if you don't fit their, if you will, what they're looking for in the actor, you're not getting the part. And so when I talk about that, what I'm talking is that we know and individuals, how do they pay attention when you have individuals saying that unless you are white and unless you are Asian, you don't have the intelligence to go to a Harvard or you don't have the intelligence to go to an Ivy League school. Or if you're not a woman, or I should say, if you're not a man, then you don't have the qualification to be a leader. They understand that. And I, as I tell folks, I don't care if we have all three of us advanced degrees. As I tell folks, my I started off in a cold water flat where my family was the poorest of the poorest. Let me be clear, is that when we talk about race in the United States, when we talk about gender in the United States, what we're talking about, who are the marginalized group? And as you know, from what you were discussing earlier, uh, as the uh, women, Black women being more likely to be victimized, is that Black women are at the lowest part of the pyramid. Latina. Are then next in the lowest part of the pyramid. What we really want to talk about, though, is for folks to understand. We might talk about affinity bias. Is affinity bias the reason why it has an issue is that (laughs) who's at the top? If you know who's at the top, then you know by definition, if you have affinity bias, they are going to pull in people who look like them and who have their background, which means that if you don't look like them and you don't have their background, you're out. When we talk Mm -hmm. about systemic racism, what we're talking about is the biases that are built into the system, that are built in such a way that you may not readily see it, but you can look at the back end of it and know that it exists. And what do you do in order to get rid of it?
0: Yeah, we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you, Fatima, the same question I asked Dr. Deb. You worked in this DEI space a long time yourself. Uh, We see these voices of the billionaires who are anti-DEI, who want to take it down, who want to roll it back by 50%. Uh, I I mentioned Mark Cuban as as someone who's been fighting against it, but I can't really think of a a whole long list of other billionaire types that have the kind of platform that Elon Musk has uh, standing up for DEI. Why do you think that is?
2: I think people you know, play to their selfish self-interest, to be perfectly honest. And the way that the system is right now, they think and believe that it works for them, which is why I think it is critical for people to personally get involved and help create this pressure, right? Because we could be talking about this until we're blue in the face. All of us on this, you know, in this conversation believe that DEI is important, but it's not going to be successful in terms of trying to combat the attack on DEI if people don't say, I have a personal stake in this. Right. So if you're a person of color, you need to be helping to put the pressure on wherever you can in your community so that people like not just a Mark Cuban, but at a, you know, a smaller company, a mid-sized company or at their school will say this is important because people are only going to respond to the pressure that they get. And like I said, I'm I'm sorry,
0: ladies. I'm sorry. We are out of time. Uh, This is such a big conversation. That's why I've already had you back twice and clearly got to have you back a third time. But I do want to make sure people know that your book, Fatima, is Race Rule, What Your Black Friend Won't Tell You. Make sure you pick up a copy of it. Thank you so much, Fatima, for writing that book. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you, Dr. Deborah, Dr. Deborah Ashton. President of Planet Perspective and a DEI consultant. Always uh, great to be in conversation with both of you. Continue to lift up this work, so critically important. The next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers in the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 15A. Don't touch that dial.